Welcome back, fellow ufologists. Today, my guest is Beverly. We are just going to call her Beverly for anonymity's sake. And of course, we're just going to say that uh, we are in the Western region of Canada. So Beverly, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, thank you very much, Jason, for having me on. It's my pleasure. I actually met Beverly through uh, working on uh, a case recently that sort of we we crossed um, different departments, but we communicated that way. And I thought um, she had such an amazing story and she's part of uh, an ERT, so experiencer uh, response team uh, that responds to people that have had incidences or, or close encounters with entities. And she specializes in that, but she also has a history, which is very good. And I thought we would uh, talk about that today. So, uh, Beverly, one of my first questions uh, is what woke this um, need for investigation in ufology or alien abduction in you? So what started this whole thing for you? Okay. So what got me started was uh, two things. And... I would say, let's go back a little bit in my history because people always ask, were you interested in this stuff when you were a kid? And my biggest interest or involvement uh, really was just watching Star Trek. So that really doesn't give you any sense of any reality at all. Uh, I knew it was, you know, a program, but I was curious about it. And I was curious about, you know, where people would have the idea to even do something like that. But that's really as far as it went. I, you know, I just had a, a curiosity. That was it. So there was never anything. I didn't pursue, uh, you know, watching any other programs because there really wasn't anything else. I didn't read books. I didn't go out of my way to look for any of it. So I really was, um, you know, pretty naive about the whole thing. And, um, and I would honestly say that I, I probably had a, healthy skepticism about whether I believed any in any of this stuff as a reality to begin with. So then in 2002, uh, a friend and I had met for the afternoon for just a visit. And it was in the summer. Um, and it was just a gorgeous day. There was blue sky, no clouds. There was um, no wind. <clears throat> and um, her and I were sitting on her back patio at her home and not too far from my home, just actually a few doors away. And we were just sitting there and it was, it was probably just past lunchtime and we were sitting chatting and she has a, a residential home. So there was a fence dividing her property from the neighbors as most of us have. And uh, we were sitting there chatting and we were kind of, turned a little bit as angles towards each other and uh, I was facing I think I was facing north and she was maybe four feet away from me not too far and so I was kind of angled so I was seeing the neighbor's fence over that part to the right and she was angled and sitting me so that she could see more of her backyard to the left so she was facing me so we're sitting there just chatting away and you know nothing special going on and I see this white object coming across her fence and probably I'm going to say about probably 15 feet to 20 feet away from where I was sitting uh, at the time when it first showed up at the fence point anyways probably about, about 20 feet away at that point 
looked like a piece of white paper. And it was shaped like a piece of regular type typing paper that you could see any place. Nothing special. It was also very thin. And I remember seeing it as we were talking and just thinking, this is very odd that it is coming across the fence, the top of the over the fence, in a straight line, and there is no wind current. Even if there was a little breeze, it would be kind of moving around a little bit, but it wasn't. It was just kind of coming across in a straight line, perfectly, perfectly still, other than the fact that it was moving. And then I didn't pay much attention to it. I saw it, and I was still very curious. And and then a second one came, probably four, about four or five feet behind that, came another one in the same line formation, doing exactly the same thing, which at that point I then said to my friend, take a look at this. There's something coming across your, your yard here, and it's coming right into your backyard. And I said, I wonder what it is. And so we're sitting there, we're looking at this, same thing, and we see a third one coming about the same distance, about four or five feet behind that one. And they were traveling very, very slowly. So they were um, going to, uh, well, we didn't know where. They were just going somewhere. And they were coming across a yard, and we just noticed, with this great amazement is what I can say, and we just sat there and watched them. And they didn't flutter. They didn't move. They stayed in a straight formation as they slowly moved across her yard. And at one point, I sort of had this thought, I wonder, because at this point, they were probably about 15 feet away from us. And they were only about five feet up off the ground. So they weren't, they weren't high up in the sky or anything. I thought, I wonder if I should go up and touch one. But something internally just said, no, you don't know what you're dealing with. So I just decided. We just sat there and we watched these things. And as we were watching these things passing across her yard, and they were about midway in her yard, just directly in front of us, something above me uh, caught my eye as well in the sky. So I looked up and there was a small sphere and it had uh, crossed over the top of her house. I figure these are probably about 300 feet uh, above her house. And, and then as we were looking, as I was looking at that and then looking at these things, they were now passing past her yard and out of her yard. And then another one of these spheres came the other direction. So they were going from north to south. And that, and then we just sat there and watched these things. I mean, we just, we just didn't know what to say. And, and then all of a sudden, there was several more, and they were just, they were flying at different speeds, some so fast I'd never seen this before, and they were, there would be one going one way, and another one coming past another way, and then another one come back uh, again above us, and they just stayed above us for two and a half hours, and doing this little play of this really unusual flight formations, uh, stopping on a dime, turning and reversing, or going up and then down and then down and up and, and just all these kind of little configurations, sometimes very slow, sometimes very fast. And we were kind of laughing a little bit 
my friend and I, this because we we didn't know what we were seeing. We didn't know why we were seeing these things, uh, just staying above our house, because it seemed very clear to us that they were impressing us somehow, giving a little play. And um, and so then uh, I think at that some point, some in that two and a half hours, she went in the house and called her husband and her, her two sons out, and they came outside and they saw these things as well. But after watching them for a couple of minutes, they were very disinterested and uh, came back inside. So that was at the beginning. Uh, disinterested? <laughs> disinterested. That's that's horrible. Disinterested, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so these, um, you're talking about these spheres that were going all over the place. Are mm-hmm. they relatively all the same size? They were all the same size. They were small, uh, spherical shapes. We could see if the light hit at a certain point that there was something around the middle of them. Now, I don't. it looked like a line, but because they were, pro- I would say, about 300 feet above us, uh, you couldn't see very clearly if that was just a segmentation of two, two parts joined together or if it was, you know, I wouldn't say windows necessarily because it didn't get a sense of that. But certainly there was um, no other markings that we could see, but they were definitely a shiny silver color. And, uh, yeah, I didn't see any other markings or lights or anything. And this is, like I said, this is in broad daylight. This is, you know, two, you know, just after lunchtime, probably this happened till around 2, 2.15. And, and there was more. <laughs> there was more that, that came after they started to uh, leave. You mean that there was sure. that there was further uh, events that took place after they left? There was another one. I decided after watching these with her, we kind of got a sense after they all came past us, because um, they, they, they were just going back and forth, north to south, north to south, the whole, like I'd say, two and a half hours. And then uh, at one point, they finally seemed to connect somewhere, and they came from the south. Now we couldn't see because we of course were sitting in her backyard with rooftops and stuff, so we couldn't really see what was outside, you know, past past where we were sitting. So they come obviously gathered together somewhere south and then came over us in a V formation, uh, with one missing out of the segment. There was seven and um, and then it quickly caught up and joined into the segment, uh, segment the segment arrangement of the V. And then I decided at that point, I knew that they were, they were finished. So I just had that sense. And so I decided to stand up on her picnic table in her backyard because her patio was elevated and the picnic table was on it just to see where these things were going. And I thought if I could see over the roof lines, uh, that I might be able to see something. Well, I stood on her picnic table and I, my jaw, I think just dropped down to the ground because what I could see in the distance, probably no more than five or six blocks away, probably no more than that, were these two huge pearl-colored, pearl-shaped, massive um, objects. And they they were just hanging in the air. They weren't even that high above. They, were, they could have also been, I don't even think they were 300 feet 
up in the air. I don't think they were that high. And um, and then one of them slowly started to descend. And I just saw that all these little spherical objects were going there. And at that point, um, I got off the picnic table and I was just in a, basically a state of shock. And, um, and, and that, that was it. I just didn't know what to do from that point on. So I didn't, I just didn't do anything. We just basically sat there and just kind of talked about well, what we'd seen. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, um, it's reality. Um, taking an, an awful twist uh, because this this is not something that's conventional. This is not something that happens every day to people. But when it does happen to you, when it will happen to you, if you're seeking it or if you're actually looking out for it, um, it changes things. It puts things in perspective of like maybe we don't know what's really going on. We think we do. Uh, we have technologies. We think we understand what's really going on, but maybe we're out of our depth especially with this technology, like these, these fears, these fears release uh, or seem to be released from these crafts and the spheres themselves release smaller things. So it seems like it's like drones releasing drones, but it's a very th thorough search, whatever they're doing. It's very, very thorough. Um, yeah. Which is well, well, I definitely felt that these paper, papery looking things that came across regard which of course were not paper because I could, you know, as they passed past me, I could see they were kind of a slight convex shape and she could see because she was angled towards looking at me. Uh, she could see the front of them and they were all in uh, segments. Like I think she said there was six or eight segments um, on the front side of them. And um, so I, I don't know what they were, but we kind of had a sense that they were some kind of probes or something like that. And, you know, what they were doing coming across our backyard at such a low um, rate of speed and such a low level, like height level, was, you know, was, 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 in, it was crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. Not trying to hide it at all. No, not no, at all. No. Absolutely not. And like I say, going very slow, so slow, I could have literally walked over, plucked one off. You know, but I just, something was just saying, no, don't do that. You know, don't do that. So this happens to you. Um, you're, you're trying to, you know, grapple with what you just saw because there's no point of reference for this stuff. Uh, no. What, what happens to you going forward? Well, uh, oh, well, that day, um, I, I came back home. Her and I sat and chatted till around. 4.30 something about what we had seen and I kind of realized at that point that I was getting a little bit scared because I sort of had this sense that I just saw something in the air and around where we just you know live out our lives that I've never ever seen before and it was, I was I actually was scared and um, so I called a friend of mine and um, yeah, she didn't. She, she didn't re really react very well at all. Well, she didn't. She didn't react really at all, to be quite honest. I think she believed me, but you know, she obviously didn't say anything. Didn't couldn't be of any help. So after I finished chatting with her, because I just felt I had to tell somebody, uh, then I thought. Then I thought, well, you know what? I heard that there's something, something that I'd seen on the internet that was 
some organization I had run across at some time or another that uh, perhaps could be helpful, and I made a, a contact to them and, and said I had seen, I, you know, put, put out what I had just said to you and waited to hear back. I never heard anything back for about an hour, hour and a half. And then I thought, you know, all right, I don't know if they're there or not, but I'm going to send another email. And at this point, I'd sat down and I had done some sort of rudimentary drawings, uh, uh, like a cartoon, you know, like a series of cartoons, you know, each one having its own little panel of things in the order in which they had appeared to me. So I did that on a piece of paper and I scanned that and sent that to them with another email. And within, I would say, 20 minutes, I got a response back. And so then somebody did actually contact me by phone and asked me a bunch of questions. And uh, this gentleman came out and he was a pilot and he was doing UFO research himself with this particular small group of people. And um, so, you know, he came up two or three times actually after the initial contact with him and took all my information and said he was going to check into the airspace around where we lived that day and just kind of find out if anything else had been there. So I think the investigation uh, with him took about three months, I think, and he finally got back to me and said, he had investigated everything, and being a pilot, um, you know, he's pretty familiar with what's in the airspace and didn't sound like anything he had ever heard of ever before. And the research that he had done himself on his own investigation indicated nothing at all was in the airspace that showed up or was projected to fly over our area because I'm kind of in a rural area. So... And there is a small rural airport nearby, but uh, but even then, the whole time we were sitting there, we never saw any of those, uh, no airplanes or helicopters or anything come over her place. And uh, so he, anyways, he finally concluded a few months later that um, he could not say exactly what it was, but it certainly seemed to uh, fall into the category and classification of that Two percent, or less than two percent, of actual unidentified um, aerial phenomena. So that's that's how it finally went down. And to be clear, that percentage would go up dramatically if people would just come out and report these things. But most people have these experiences. They might post it on YouTube for some sort of, I know solace or understanding instead of reporting it to the people who yeah. can actually investigate it with them uh, I, I think that percentage would increase quite a bit but it's only about 10% of the people uh, or the general population that report oh, yeah. anything and out of that 10% I mean you the fraction breaks down again to yeah. only 2% of that is actually something yeah, that's, that's right. unidentified Um so after you have this experience with this uh, investigator, uh, what happens in your oh, life? Oh, boy. <laughs> that was uh, a real eye-opener and uh, kind of mind-blowing because probably within, oh, I'm going to say the next few years, I started to have these flashes of uh, recalls of, walking down some kind of a corridor in a craft 
and um, it, it, it's you know it took a while, but it sort of seemed like there was a sort of sequence of events that I was recalling, and when finally I recalled them enough, it seemed to kind of open up this sort of stream of sort of linear um, events that were taking place, and probably uh, more than once. So I was having these recalls, or I, I think a friend of mine said these are called um, uh, mind screens or something like that at the time. And, um, and, and, and so I was remembering being on a craft, a huge craft, a huge craft with other human beings kind of waiting in a waiting area, almost lining up, going into another location. Um, it's almost like people were coming up to this sort of spot on this craft and then in a, being, being taken down this court, people were being taken different things, but I, I, I was walking down a corridor with a small being, and I couldn't very clearly see it because, and I, I know I have this recollection several times, I'm walking down the same corridor, and it was seamless, the light was uh, not like our ordinary light, but it was like a I can't really describe it. It's just kind of a soft, uh, overall, even white kind of a light. I could see no, like I say, no seams of anything. Everything was curved, uh, except for the corridor. We were walking down this little being so, beside me. And when you say curved, is everything melded into each other? Like the floor becomes yeah. the wall, the wall becomes the ceiling? Yeah, kind of something like that, except uh, like the corridor was definitely a corridor. You know, so that was... Was it know, rounded? It, was it straight? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of... It's hard to describe uh, from what I'm trying to remember. The corridor... Um, like, this, like I would just say everything was curved. So there was no, like, sharp corners on anything, even though I was walking on a floor, an obvious floor, walking down an obvious corridor. Um, but it seemed like, yeah, everything was just... I don't know how to describe it. It was like it was... And a, I'm not expecting you to. This would be a yeah. foreign and alien. <laughs> uh, there's no point of reference. So I'm not... Ex we're not expecting you to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think I could. But yeah, but anyways, then, so then I eventually I had this recollection or memory recall, if, whatever you want to call it, um, that I was in this, um, in this round oval room with uh, these three very large like stadium type steps on them and there was so that i would come through this particular doorway area and then i would see these those are three sets steps and there was human beings sitting on some of these steps or standing on some at different parts there wasn't very many that i remember but there was i'm going to say eight ten something like that and and then i could sort of see off to the opposite side, there was another raised area. And um, at, so at other times, I would see myself looking from that vantage point that I was opposite, on the opposite side of the room. And I would be with another being, which I couldn't see, but was there. I knew it was there, talking to me. It was always telepathy. It was never with, you know, vocalizations uh, that you would be, you know, speaking with normally. And uh, there was another section I remember 
that uh, had uh, this. Um, the only way I can describe it is like a, a long bank of computerized panels of some type. And apparently my task was to work at one of these. So I don't know what I was doing. I just had another recollection of sitting at one of these panels with with these sort of, I don't even know if I want to call it computerized because I have no idea what it was, but it was definitely not something I knew here on Earth, that's for sure. And I was doing something, and I could see that this location I was sitting at was, there was kind of a, uh, a railing, if you would call it that, just kind of behind, well, actually it would be as I was sitting down at this panel, just kind of in front of me, but behind the equipment. But over, I could see over top of it, like an eye leg and past, that it was an open space with like a huge sort of, uh, it, it, it would be like a huge, not a screen, but I would say it's part of the craft, but it was um, totally open. I could see all the stars and everything outside. And um, so it was, and there, and, and past this railing, it, it also had, there was a drop. So there was another level of um, walkway or something like that lower than where I was at. And um, so anyways, but I could see, you know, like I say, past this panel on this sort of opened, um, you know, this open aspect of this, wall it was I I, I, it's, I can't even call it a wall because it was like all, all around, around up it was huge was this um, view of the you know of, of stars and the sky and everything and that's kind of what I remember <laughs> so yeah oh so um, you're seeing stars are, are you facing earth are you facing away no I don't no we're far far away from earth far away very far away yeah, I have no idea where though. I just yeah, I didn't get that. So you're you're starting to get these sort of like screen memories, as you call them. Uh, what what are you experiencing um, in a sense of like your everyday life, and then starting to glue these little subconscious recordings? Um, what what's happening to you at that point? <clears throat> well, um, I think that. About the time I started to have these screen memories open up and have these recollections, I, I remember thinking at the time when there was about the third time that this is really strange that I was remembering this stuff because, you know, they had a sort of a dreamlike quality to them, and yet they weren't a dreamlike quality. They were so vivid, and the amount of detail I was remembering, you know, clothing, you know, color of clothing, other beings, um, you know, other people being there, um, you know, like I say, these, these different things I was remembering, I thought, this is really bizarre. I just, and I also had, you know, a couple times I sort of had memories open up of flying a small, a very small craft just by thought. And, uh, there was another presence with me and, uh, and I, one of them, I remember I was, um, I was in a in a residential area somewhere. <clears throat> I don't know exactly where that was, but I, I was somewhere, and uh, being able to and I was I remember laughing. Hmm. 
yeah. it wasn't a traumatic experience in the sense of like uh, I didn't no, none of them felt like that's the odd thing too. I they didn't feel like traumatic at all. You know, you hear about stories of people having you know, recollections of abductions and stuff. I never felt like that. Uh, but yet I clearly had some odd things happen to me, you know, when I started thinking about all of this stuff in my own home. But, um, you know, and they were just odd. They were just odd things. And I just never linked them together um, until I started to talk to somebody. So I finally had a, a conversation with, uh, I think it was on the internet too. There was a, a group that opened up. I don't want to name the group, but there was a group that opened up with a, you know, with a number of um, investigators on it, and um, they had opened up their own kind of investigative, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, interest, and set up a Facebook group. And I don't, e I don't even absolutely know how I found it for goodness' sake, because I don't go looking for this stuff. That's the weird thing. So anyhow, I ended up connecting with him, and I didn't want to put anything on the internet. I, I still wouldn't, but uh, I contacted him directly and told him what had happened. And basically, it was you know he was the one who said, "You're not alone. There's more people who've had these things happen." And you know, we kind of developed a friendship where I was able to talk to him about this stuff a little bit more. And, uh, and, you know, he was finally able to say, well, this is, you know, these are called screen memories and, you know, just, you know, you'll probably find more and more things, uh, open up for you to remember. So that was, that was really kind of how it was. And then, like I said, as we talked, um, I began to realize that I'd also had, you know, I'd also had experiences in my home as long as I could remember uh, any place I had lived or somebody touching me on the shoulder and and I it was really weird because it was you know it was very clearly felt like somebody was touching me on the shoulder and I mean this has happened so many times I couldn't even tell you how often and uh, you know I would be be I would be alerted by it and but then I remember nothing after it Right. So is this during the day? Is this during the night? Always at, Always night. at night. Always what? at night. Always when I, uh, yeah. While you're yeah, sleeping? When I was, uh, sometimes just when I was just about to fall asleep, sometimes when I was sleeping and it would wake me up, probably more often than not, it would wake me up. Uh, I would be already sleeping and it would wake me up. And um, this, it, but then I'd, I'd feel it, I'd be alert that, and I'd kind of, remember going what was that you know and and then that would be it i wouldn't remember anything after that so you know people have asked me did i have missing time well when it's in the middle of the night i have no right. idea so i never had anything even with that situation with my friend we didn't have missing time no it was no pulling sensation no. after the fact oh uh, no not that i could not that i can recall okay. no i would always feel this small hand uh, on my shoulder and and it's funny because it was always on my left shoulder never my right shoulder I don't know why but always on my left shoulder and um, I would feel a small hand it, it wasn't pinching or pulling it was just there but it was firm enough there was like somebody was 
you know, definitely touching you, not lightly, but with a medium, a medium touch, sense it, and not like a full, and the other thing, not like five fingers and a thumb, it did not feel like that, it always felt like three long fingers and a palm, something that like that, that's what it always felt right. like. So if you're going to say that you, it was a small hand, but long fingers. Yeah. Yeah. So this starts uh, coming to light for you as the years go on. You start having these like weird occurrences that you're like, ah, they're starting to pile up. Have yeah. you had any more sightings since then? Have you had any more like more yes. vivid events take place then? Um, uh, let's see. Well, I've had a couple more sightings. Um, not, not in the daytime. Uh, one was uh, about mm, five, six years ago. My husband and I were driving into the nearby city to go for dinner, and it was, I think it was just, it was either December or January. I know it was winter, and I know there was a lot of snow, and um, it was probably around six o'clock because, yeah, probably about six, because we would leave home about that time to go, you know, and visit, uh, meet some friends of ours in the city so as we got in the vehicle i remember <clears throat> looking up and that again it was another very beautiful clear evening no no snow was coming down it was just dark out a clear sky and i could see this really bright light up in the sky you know further off towards the city and i thought hmm, that's really strange you know what is that it's not a star because i'm very familiar with the star formations and where they're located in my area and so I just kind of was curious that it was this really super bright light was in the city or wherever it was it was it looked like it was over in the city so anyways we continued we drove it is maybe about maybe I'm going to say from where we started to where we had to go maybe a total of 10 miles so probably about six miles in we had to go through this uh, river valley road a little bit which kind of curved and and so I lost sight uh, of it at one point and then we kind of came around this one bit bend to come up back out to cross the river and there it was up in the sky above us I remember yelling at my husband look at that he said I can't I, I have to drive and because he's taller than me he couldn't see because the roof of the vehicle he could he's quite tall so he couldn't see what I could see, but shorter. And uh, I could see this thing. It looked, the only thing I could say it looked like was like a chandelier. And it was uh, hovering above the river. And it was the middle section. There was three sections to it, three very distinct sections. I would call it a chandelier. That's the only thing I could ever say. The middle section looked like it was windows. It was definitely lit up like windows. I couldn't see any any you know figures or anything and, and then all of a sudden uh, it just as soon as I recognized that this and I had the thought in my head that this was a, a beautiful it was a be it was a beautiful whatever it was it just shot off so fast like you would not believe it just so fast and I just went wow you know that's ever go fast so that was the not the last time I saw something and that so that was yeah about six years ago six seven years ago and then last year 
um, I saw, it was last year and earlier this year, I saw in the same location out in my rural area here, um, above the same area where I had seen those initial huge uh, pearl-shaped ones, much higher in the sky, I saw, again, I saw something that was much brighter than a star. Um, and I think, remember last September, I went out several times from about 9 till 11, looking at this thing and then noticing there was another one in the opposite direction. And uh, I tried to take videos of it, but I don't have the, I don't have the right equipment, and it just didn't show up. It just didn't, didn't do anything for me. But uh, anyway, it definitely did have, you look at it long enough, it did have the twinkling green and red lights. And sometimes it would get brighter and sometimes it would dim out a little bit. So, uh, you know, that would be, that would be probably the most recent that I think the last thing was like, that was also this past February, the same thing in the evening sky. So I don't go out every night and look at stuff, but um, every now and then I just kind of get an inkling to go outside and um, sometimes, you know, there's something, sometimes, most times it's not. So I, I'm not specifically looking for these things, that's for sure. If they're there, they're there, fine. I just, nothing I can do about it, you know? <laughs> well, there's nothing anybody can do about it, but nighttime is their main activity for grabbing people it seems um yeah it, they'll do it during the day too but it, it seems to be i don't know if it's psychologically less traumatizing to us but you know what it sounds like bev um what it sounds like is that our consciousness is removed during these experiences that it's probably just a subconscious that's recording these that's why it seems like screen yeah. memories because your subconscious is trying to tell you hey this this happened yeah. Yeah. um but having your consciousness removed by the will of another intelligence or another entity, that's concerning. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, see that part I, I can't say too much about because again, you know, for me, other than that experience of seeing all of that stuff with my friend, um, you know, any other occurrence was, like I say, usually in the middle of the night somewhere. And I mean, I certainly, you know, about 15 years ago, I mean, something been happening because I, I won't, one day I realized I had something in my arm, you know, and uh, I had never known about implants uh, at the time. Um, that came a little bit later for me um, about uh, implants. And uh, I had this really weird thing in my arm in my left arm and it was about the size of a grain of rice it definitely i could definitely see it under my skin and it was hard and if i really pressed on it hard i could see something that looked like a little wire or something in it i don't something darker like i don't know I called it a wire but i don't know if that's what it was and that is really um that really puzzled me i you know i didn't know who to ask it was a long time before i was able to you know, um, ask anybody about it. And I have to say it is, it is now gone just as this, this last week, it has finally disappeared just this last week. Um, because in the last year and a half, well, I'd say the last year, maybe year and a half, but definitely the last year I noticed it was starting to diminish in size and, and even the touch to it, uh, was, 
was changing. And um, I, I ended up talking to um, Daryl Sims. I don't know if you know him, but he... I'm not familiar with okay. Daryl, no. Daryl Sims is kind of a, one of the pioneer UFO researchers um, on his own, very well known in, very well known in the U.S. Um, I think he's still doing his stuff, but this was several years ago. Anyways, I ended up contacting him because I had seen a, a documentary or a video or something uh, on something at some point about him uh, having these implants. Um, I don't know if he was collecting these implants from occasional people. Well, I think he eventually learned how to retrieve them himself. I'm not exactly sure. This was quite a long time ago. That was the first time I ever had any inkling that there was such a thing called an implant. Now, I have, in my own work that I now do with other people who have these, as we call them, experiencers, have found out, well, there's many different kinds, and there's different generations of them. And um, the newer generations of them, uh, they... They eventually deteriorate, as mine has done, and uh, and just disappear. They, they, um, and especially after you are a certain age. Now I'm older, I'm over sixty-five, so it's they're not interested in me anymore for whatever reason. But anyways, it's totally understandable. Waned interest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way, that's a blessing, actually. But, um, yeah. yeah. They're going through a midlife crisis. They're going after <laughs> the younger ones now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I sort of remember, you know, that, that different generations of these implants, um, you know, have been different. And, and that the most recent ones, if they are removed, they will just immediately melt, completely melt into a puddle of a little drop of water. So, you know, people had asked me once I realized that this thing was an implant, um, you know, uh, did I, it, did I want it removed? And I said, no, there's, there's no, there's no point to get it removed. Um, I think I had a little bit of concern myself about having something like that done just simply because where are you going to go? First of all, and, uh, how are you going to explain this thing that got in your arm and what's it for? Have no idea. I mean, well, I have an idea now, of course, but, um, you know, there was all these sort of little complications in the back of my mind that I felt could, um, just, just easier to just leave it alone, you know, just absolutely leave it alone. Uh, the thing is, they knew where I am, was, am all the time anyways. So, and I, you know, it, I just thought, just leave it alone. I don't have any sense of, um, of, of having any difficulties with any of the experiences that I've had by just the recollections that I've already explained. None of them were difficult. I, you know, was I abducted? I, I don't have that sense that I was abducted. So, uh, you know, my understanding is that in the, uh, you know, in, in the experiencer realm, there's the contactees, which I would be called a contactee, and then there's those who have been abducted. And I don't get it, ever get a sense of, uh, of being abducted abducted um what do you think the difference is between the two well uh i would say from people that i have talked to who have been i've talked to other people both ways too 
the contactees are contacted. They, it's like they have, uh, there is a connection with them. It's like there's, in my case, I had a, seemed to have a task to do of some, some kind. Um, I was always, you know, um, tre- I'm going to say treated very, very well. I certainly had no, you know, no difficulty, hardship, you know, a- any kind of that thought or feeling um, of any of these experiences. And yet uh, there's some people who've been experiencers in some cases, of course, are very, very well known. Um, where they're, they've met with struggle, they, they've encountered being, um, you know, kind of strapped down onto tables and were struggling to, when they had memories of things, struggling to get free. And in the case of um, Travis Walton, of course, he, he was very angry on the table and um, he, you know, he grabbed something and began to swing to fight. So others have done this, and they've they've had this kind of very horrific kind of memories of um, these struggles and the fear, you know, um, you know, finding their clothes are different or or, or damaged or you know, you know, things like this. Yeah, I think there's there's been um, incidences where people have been taken together as a group. And there's some people remembering not feeling fear. Some people remembering seeing the fear of their loved ones or their friends like in their faces as they were yeah. undergoing it. Yeah. Some people seem yeah. to be completely out of it, like they were not there at all. So Yeah, in a catatonic state type of thing. Yes. And, and, mm-hmm. and my thinking is, is it uh, a human reaction to being taken out of what we consider reality into this like is there a, a mental shift so do some people um willingly agree to these encounters some people do not uh and, and yeah. i'm very fascinated by that like why um and and i do have a theme uh, um, a program that i'm going to be doing called the chosen ones which yeah. seems to be people kind of like yourself that feel like there's a communication it's a mutual agreement it's not an abduction it's more of a visitation which is very different yeah i I agree with you because um i mean i did have one experience this past february of like a holographic uh screen opening up in front of my bedroom wall one evening and one of the i guess you would call it a gray um was present was appeared in as like a holographic screen much larger than me so i knew it was holographic was like a projection and uh, just kind of looked at me and then coughed its head the other way, looked at me, and, and I just looked at it. I had, I had this very strong sense of friendliness, of, 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 of kind, benevolent friendliness, almost like a, a dear friend. So, you know, and I've been told later after, after I talked to um, Kathleen Martin, who most people know is the famous niece of Betty and Barney Hill, you know, the people who cases is very very well known worldwide Check zeros yeah. yeah yeah but um you know yeah cat you know kathleen sort of you know you know said to me that um yeah some people just do have this sense of this very benevolent kind of um expression being extended towards them 
And I certainly would say that that was true because there was absolutely no fear in me at all when I saw this projection and um, in my room. And like I said, this was just this last February. But, uh, you know, and this is the other thing, too. You know, uh, like Kathleen had said to me at one time, you know, when you get older, like they, they'll still come and visit you, like your visitations with them will, uh, they'll lessen, you know, especially after age 60. Um, they will lessen and they'll, first of all, they'll start to decrease around age 50 and they'll very much lessen, if not completely disappear by age 60. But for some people, um, they seem to have, like me, um, they seem to just kind of pop in every now and then. <laughs> I guess that's a funny way of saying it, pop in. But, and they just kind of make their presence known uh, with you and, but and nothing else that I could recall. So, yeah, there's, uh, like I say, there are these different kinds of experiences that people have. And I mean, they run the gamut from really extreme, you know, horrific down to, well, yeah, here they are again kind of thing. Well, what are we doing now kind of business, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's. Do you think that's a matter of perspective? Oh my gosh. That is hard to say because I, I know of one guy who, who, I have talked to, he's a case that I've worked with, I'm keeping the case open, um, who has been used for hybrid um, seeding, hybrid seeding, and he's will, and he's willing, he's a willing uh, participant in the hybrid seeding, and um, he gets communication, as he said to me, with them very, very regularly, so, uh, you know, He's willing. So, I mean, I, I don't know. He's He looks forward to it. Obviously, he's also been treated very, very well. And, um, I mean, my case is ongoing with him. But, um, you know, I'd need to ask him more questions. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Perspective, yeah, I would say for sure. But, you know, how people are being kind of... Um, uh, I, I don't want to use the word taken, but how they're being approached is really, I think, going to give some perspective from them personally uh, on their experience with it when they do have a recollection of it. Because, you know, I mean, like for me, you know, I, I really don't, honestly, I really don't want to have any more visitations. Um, but they haven't been bad. So on the other side, then there's people who also haven't had them bad either, but they're still scared every time they happen. And I'm not scared anymore, but um, they're still scared. And so, I mean, it does sort of traumatize people. I, I think it's really a rare person that, that, you know, would not be sort of traumatized to some degree or another because this is just not your usual everyday encounter you know well no and it's not it's not like they knock on your door either. no it's no they're just there um, yeah many people have, have been awake during these experiences and they said you know just like they'll walk through a wall or they just appear out of nowhere i mean it's it's got to be quite disconcerting yeah. when yeah you're just you know at night eating cereal watching <laughs> i don't know seinfeld or something and all of a sudden these things come popping through your wall yeah yeah. Uh, and then you just wake up in the morning with, you know, feeling tired and yeah. absolutely knowing 
no idea how you went to bed or anything. Yeah. Um, so you joined MUFON and then you decided that you wanted to sort of connect more uh, with people that were experiencing yeah. this. Is, is that something that was dear to your heart because of what you went through? Well, part of what happened was I just got in, got trained like everybody else does as a field investigator. And um, I found that most of the stories that people were presenting were very benign. You know, they were very benign. And, you know, even though people were reporting things, there's always, again, the, the, the long line of uh, hoaxes to wannabes to um, something maybe there, but again, trying to Delusions. follow yeah. up on it. Yeah, it just, it, it just, it was not fulfilling for me. And in the process, though, I began to get people who started to tell me that there was other things connected with what they saw sometimes. And this is how my, my interest in um, going more towards um, working with people who are other experiencers came about is having these people telling these stories to me. And then at the time uh, when I was with MUFON earlier, there was no experiencer team at the time. And so I really felt quite alone and not really knowing what to do. Uh, not having any support at all for myself as someone who could uh, even know what questions to ask these people. So, yeah, I would say out of out of partly out of my experience, um, I was interested in doing uh, ERT work more. But I think more it was just that I just you know at one point people were just coming out of the woodwork at me, and I I finally just had to shut shut it down. I couldn't handle the number of people. Who were coming at me it was regular and uh so i just finally just kind of got out of the whole thing for a bit and uh and then you know once i found out that there was an actual team and there was people who were very dedicated to this and who seemed to know what they were doing then i felt okay then let's go in and just investigate that and see if uh if that's going to suit me fit my you know fit my own um, area in which I would I would want to be there for other people. So now that we've um, we've covered some grounds, let's talk about uh, some advice that you could give to me and other uh, field investigators uh, in regards to investigating these cases. Should that happen, uh, one that I want to know: uh, the population in Canada is obviously greater in the east than it is in the west. Are you guys getting more reports? From the east than you are in the west? That I don't know because uh, when things are assigned, they come through sort of a central a central um, individual who then kind of divvies them out according to which area of the country you live in. But, yeah, I think there's a little bit more in the east than there is in the west. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not always true because even just in the last month, there's Central Canada has had a few more than normal. And, um, you know, I seem to, to be getting a little bit busier than I was in the, you know, in the past several months, that's for sure. Um, but a lot of the people, I do have to say, I, I think a lot of the stuff that, that I've been getting is not necessarily current activity. 
some people are just finally coming forward after years and years of keeping this stuff, you know, in the back of their mind and just finally bringing it out now. So a lot of times what I might be, you know, talking to somebody about is something that maybe happened even 20 years ago or more, you know, uh, really can be a long time away. And um, so, you know, so we never know. So the really active ones, I, I, I don't know. I think people still have a reticence about about talking about what's happening with this stuff. So that's well, questioning know. their sanity as well. I, I think yeah. that you would question your sanity, especially if you're not into UFOs, but you're having these experiences, even though you don't believe in them. Uh, well, yeah. you know, how, how do you rationalize that yeah. one, especially yeah, if you're exactly. from a fundamental, you know, uh, religious background? That in and of itself exactly. has big implications. Exactly, because right? I mean, this stuff happens to anybody. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you do, what your status in life is, how rich or poor you are. You know, it, it, it makes no difference. I mean, I've had cases, uh, one guy so hysterical in his situation that happened 20 years ago he was still in hysterics still in hysterics every time he talked about it and you know it was one of those situations where i had to find uh, another person to um, and this is out in eastern canada had to find somebody to support come along as a support with me and who lived out there and uh, who could get this guy to finally go and see somebody for his uh, ptsd i mean it was really serious he was really really bad shape and it's legitimately post-traumatic stress syndrome it's not like it's absolutely made up. absolutely but these seems to occur more in the one-offs is what i call them like the people that get um just taken once you know like they're driving home or whatever. yes they seem to be the ones that are experiencing because it was a one-off it's not like they have something else to compare it to and then there's yeah. the people like yourselves which are the reoccurring uh, yeah. incidences but yeah it seems to be like even um, we were talking uh, about Betty and Barney Hill and, right. and, and Barney suffered from post-traumatic stress quite a bit oh terrible yeah yeah ulcers and couldn't sleep and his health deteriorated oh, yeah. greatly after that oh god it really did yeah it really did yeah and I mean yeah Betty fared a little bit better for some reason I don't know why but um, the females tend it, tend to um not be as tra traumatized as the males are Maybe because we don't fight back quite the same way i don't know <laughs> well i think it, it, well, I, again we have to to evaluate our psyche as a species and saying okay well as a, a dominant let's say male let's say you're you're an alpha male right like you uh yeah you know you work in the bush and stuff like that and all of a sudden you know like the travis walton incident Right. Um, you know, he acted in an alpha male move when he felt threatened aboard that sure. craft. He grabbed something and started swinging because that's his instinct. But they yeah. they know that uh, because their yeah. reaction right away was to back out of the room. They didn't instigate that's it. They right. just left them alone. Uh, that's right. They know a lot more about our behavioral system than we'll ever know about them. And that's, yeah. again, it's concerning because I don't know if we're being shepherded. I don't know if we're just being observed. Uh, but it's the equivalent of like a scientific group doing experiments on, you know, mice that don't know what the hell's going on. Like to me, it's about yeah. the equivalent. And then, yeah. And I was just going to say that there's, you know, there's still a lot of, um, you know, I, I don't want to say data, but information from various people coming forward around all of that too. When they do have these recollections, um, 
you know, the other thing too that I seem to recall is that um, as they've gotten to know us better on our reactions, our emotional content, of course, is very, very curious to them uh, because they're not emotional at all. But they seem to have to no longer be as kind of um, terrifying in the treatment you know, of people as the, as it used to be. This stuff, you know, like Travis Walton, you hear about that. Or, I mean, I've heard of other stories and there's been other documented stories, you know, these kind of similar things. But even just from the few people that I have, you know, talked to uh, myself or things I've even read or whatever, it, see, it seems as of late, well, I'm going to say maybe the last 10 years, maybe at the most, where they don't seem to be um, approaching people uh, with quite the same degree of um, force, maybe I'm not sure if that's the right word, but we we might be we might be open a lot more to like keep in mind like our generation, like you were mentioning Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, your generation was the first generation to like oh like what would it be like to travel the universe? Like, actually, introduced those ideas where like the people before that. You know, survivors of the depression, uh, you know, UFOs and flying saucers and, you know, entities from other locations was, was not of interest to them. So, and I'm, I'm an 80s kid. So, you know, Spielberg, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. is king of the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and, and growing up with his movies like E.T. and Close Encounters, uh, my whole generation are now the people that are in Senate. Yeah. We're a lot more open to the idea of contact with entities where I think before like Barney Hill, Mm -hmm. you know, his world did not include (laughs) extraterrestrial entities. Oh, absolutely not. They forced themselves into his reality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what caused that uh, post-traumatic stress because we think linear, we think in boxes and once something happens that doesn't fit in the box and and won't fit in the box, yeah, it drives us nuts. Well, and it's still like that, you know. Even if even if the I want to say the experience itself is not so traumatic, I think that's still that's true. I think that's still true. So if if I was if I was to get a case, um, like what am I looking for? Because you, you you've You've experienced this, plus you've you've worked with a lot of people. What am I looking for as traits that something might have really happened to this person? And then to refer them to more specialized um, uh, departments such as the ERT team or another organization. Like, what am I looking for? Uh, well, usually the person is going to be just absolutely either. There's two that I've seen. I haven't seen anything in between. They're either going to be really willing to talk to you or they're not. And yet they have the story. They do want, they do want to bring it out. But I tell you, they're still very, very suspicious, even when they have reported their incidents. Um, and they state that they do want to talk to somebody. They're still very, very reticent about opening up to a real person. Now, I, and I understand that. I, I really understand that because you are kind of reawakening. If there's a trauma there, you are reawakening trauma every time you talk about it. It's, it has been a trauma to begin with. So one of the things that I would would do is, um, first of all, create a atmosphere of great safety, great, great safety 
with that individual, and that means approaching them if um, because I mean you're going to get them t wanting to talk to you, but you have to you have to sort of accept what they have to say with a, a very calm demeanor about everything they extend to you, and you know you you I would say your red flags might go up sometimes, but generally what I'm finding is that. I'm not getting a sense that these people are hoaxing. I'm getting a sense something did happen. And my job is really to help them to feel safe in telling their story. I can't do anything about their story. I can't even tell them it was true. Because like my situation, somebody could certainly, and skeptics out there could certainly say, oh, you were just dreaming that. Yeah, you could say that. You could definitely say that. Um, I'm a very vivid remembry, uh, remembrance of, of my dreams on an ordinary basis anyways. But I don't typically have dreams that repeat the same thing over and over, over years, you know, with sequences that establish a pattern. So, you know, that in my situation, that's how we knew that I'm a contactee because it's reoccurring. But like you were saying, some of the people, it's just a one-time only. And this might, you might be the very first person they've ever um, talked to in a capacity where somebody, they're hoping you will believe them. And, you know, I just tell people, my job here is to, is to support your, support you as you're telling your story and to help, you know, to help you understand some of the difficult parts maybe that are going on in there, uh, through your experiences. You are free to tell me whatever you want to. Um, I may ask questions to get clarification on certain things. And I do look for things of story changing. The stories change or the details change. I, I mean, if that starts happening, um, you know, you, you got to get your red flags up. Uh, one of the techniques often used is have to have them tell the story from the last incident to going backwards rather than the first instance going back and coming forwards. So it's just a technique. I haven't had to use it, but it is a technique to get things said in reverse order. And then you can double check on it through, you know, other um, communications with them, perhaps. But now, do you? Yeah, go ahead. Do you handle cases that more that are more on an individualistic basis? Have you ever had a case where it involved multiple people? Uh, no, I've never had one so far with multiple people, although some of the people have said they they knew a child or their children were also present. So, but they... That one, yeah, that one's often. Yeah, yeah, that one's said yeah often. They, knew, they sort of had a sense of that, but uh, we are not, I have not anyways, and I don't know if others have, have gotten to the point, unless you're able to go out and, you know, certain kinds of investigations would take you directly to that person and do a face-to-face, -face, you know, uh, interview with them. And maybe, depending on the situation, uh, you could interview other family members if they were sort of involved in some way or had a set, if you had a sense or even the experiencer had a sense that they were involved. So I haven't had that happen yet. Most of it, well, all of the cases I've dealt with so far have just been communications either, you know, through emails or by telephone. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that are coming forward with their side of the story, but they're not. Uh, the other people that were involved don't want to come forward. Yeah, and you have to respect that. You have to honor that because, 
I mean, I just tell the people, like I usually make a connection with them first by an email once I get their report. Uh, I just let them know how courageous they are in coming forward and doing this because there is just so much stigma still around all of this. And I can tell you, um, it is not something that's going to go away soon. I just don't think that that's going to go away. That sense of stigmatization is going to go away soon because, um, you know, people talk about things like when is there going to be disclosure and all of that stuff. Well, disclosure has already happened. It's just people don't want to believe it. And so the stigmatization is going to be there because people don't want to accept it and believe it. And, um, and, the, and there is a kind of a fear factor around it kind of getting out. You know, I mean, people just want to live their lives. They just want to go about their lives, do their well, and, and we're stupid, Bev. We we have to admit that about our species. It's not just that we want to live our lives, but we're incredibly stupid. Uh, when the coronavirus broke out, people were punching each other in the face oh, yeah. for toilet paper. Yeah. Right? So if you're saying, hey, there's an advanced species and they're all over the planet and they operate like buzzing bees all the time and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. It's going to be what? Paper clips are next? Like what's, yeah. you know? Uh, we're stupid. Yeah. We, we act stupid, uh, because when we don't understand it, when we can't control it, we, we're scared That's of right. it. Uh, and the science community has been, uh, you know, thumbs up their bum and haven't done yeah. anything. They're now waking up to it. There's a bunch of science, uh, you know, the scientific coalition for, um, the study of unidentified right. phenomenon, for instance, um, there's great products like sky hub and stuff like that coming out for people to, purchase and investigate it on, on a wider scale so this is is and, and the listeners as well of this of this mm -hmm. podcast uh, the fellow listeners are everybody's on board yeah. um but the problem is that even if we had full disclosure even if they dropped a body or two uh, for the media to just take pictures of it won't change the no. facts that we can't do anything no, about exactly. it exactly right exactly and it, i mean it's it's just kind of set up that way and and you know you know, as much as many people who are maybe listening to this or in their own minds think about that they wish there was a disclosure, um, I don't know, is that really real to have that expectation? Because when you think about it, you know, I think about my own family, I think about my grandmothers and my grandfathers and my great aunts and uncles and, and um, nieces and, you know, all of these people just... Um, you know, going through life, you know, having their families, doing their jobs, having their friends, get, you know, to have a bombshell like that just kind of drop into the middle of what we've become used to as a, is our norm. I, I can't, <clears throat> I can't see that it would be a healthy thing. I really can't. I, I think, I truly think disclosure has already happened, but it happens in small ways, maybe like this kind of thing that we're doing. Of the even the event uh, that that was on television there in the last year, the release of the TikTok um, video series, and um, you know even some of the programs on television, various documentaries and stuff that are being released, they are giving hints about this stuff. I mean, I think the very first time I just go back here a little bit, I had you know I in uh, I think it was 1993 or something like that. I went over to the UK to England. And um, I was staying with some friends, and she had this kind of a, 
um, a little bulletin board in her kitchen where we would sit down and we would eat and she would just, you know, she had children so she would stick their artwork and things like that on it. But right on there, she had a couple pictures of these amazing things I had never seen before, never heard of it. They were crop circles. And um, I never heard of a crop circle before. Now, there have been crop circles here in, 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 the, in the prairie provinces here of Canada, lots of them. It started in Canada, actually. Yeah. The crop circles started in Canada. Yeah. Well, they're, they're there, and they're definitely documented. But anyway, so there I was over in the UK, absolutely curious about these things. And um, so my friend um, and her husband one day, they decide, they said, Bev, there's a lot more. There's a whole lot more. And I mean, I was just like all open, all open ears about it. And so they took me out to um, yeah, just past Stonehenge where they have the, the giant horse in the chalk on the, it's a hill. I can't remember what the name of the place is called, but it's just, it's just by Stonehenge. And then um, where they have this, you know, this huge um, chalk horse in the hill. And just at the bottom of that hill is all these fields. That's where a lot of the crop circles. Will, 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 Wiltshire, Wiltshire, that's it, Wiltshire. And um, so there has a lot of crop circles happen in that particular field that was just below this, this area in around Stonehenge. And then they took me to another place called Avebury. And it's a town, a small town or village, I guess you would call it built on a mound, or it was maybe a mound at one time, and it's encircled by two huge, huge trenches that have been also, um, they found all these standing stones deep, deep inside these trenches. And I remember uh, walking in that village, and like my whole body was electric, was just absolutely, and I know nothing about this stuff. So the other thing I would say is that one of the things in encountering people who have had experiences is they start to develop, um, sometimes they start to develop uh, different factors of psychic abilities, sensitivities, ESP factors, um, seeing orbs, this kind of stuff, um, develop healing capacities. There's all kinds of things. And many of them happen to me as well. Empathy. Empathy seems to be a huge one. Empathy, absolutely. Empathy and, yeah. and compassion, too. Yeah, very, very much yeah. so. So, you know, I, I just, like I say, I just remember walking around in that village, and it's like my body was like an electrical outlet. And it just was, I can't even describe the feeling, but I'd never felt like that anywhere in my life, ever in my travels. But that was a very, very... Um, strong strong sense of something unusual was there going on there and um yeah so you know like i say you're going back to what to look for with people who are you know what they start talking about their story yeah empathy you have to have empathy for them as well and keep a sense of safety with these people allow them to tell their story as it is and um i don't i don't really inquire too much until I sort of find that um, maybe there's a, just a little bit more information I need for clarification about what they're saying. But really, again, my job is to really support is really support their sanity, if I can put it that way. Um, help them try to just uncover 
some of what might have happened as best as we can, because, I mean, I wasn't there, so I can't do that. But I can try and at least give them some information about things I might have some knowledge on that I can share with them about my own experiences in some cases and maybe just other information that comes out because being with the, doing this kind of work, um, it is very valuable to find out from other people who are doing this kind of work, what they're discovering in their process as well, and we share together. Because there's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of things that happen that, you know, we don't, we just don't hear about all of it. And, and even when people are experiencing these things, there's going to be a percentage of stuff they're going to hold back until they become comfortable with you are if you end up being uh, a caseworker with them. Uh, they will reveal things, like I say, some will reveal it all, all at once, and um, others will be very, ooh, you know, very skeptical. They want to tell it, but they're just going to give you a little bit of feeding here, a little bit of there, and you've just got to be so patient with those people. Yeah, no matter what you think. In the event that uh, you get somebody, like, you know, you're going to get that oddball or that weird case where it's with a weirdo, what is the best practice to then just, let's say, you know what, hey, I need to distance myself. I, I'm not going to do this. Like, what needs to, as an investigator, to make sure that this person's not hounding you? Yeah. Bombarding <laughs> you with, with emails and, yeah. you know, at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, what, what would you advise? Well, one of the things that's recommended to us is to set up a separate email and, um, and, um, so that if you're, if you're doing email, I haven't done that because I haven't really found that the cases that I'm getting are something that I'm having any problem with. And I would have no problem at all with saying to somebody, you know, I just, you know, you've just got some stuff going on here. I'm just, uh, it's just out of my capacity to be able to help you with. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I would just have to say, I just, I'm just going to have to, you know, let, let this case with you you know, finalize on my behalf because I just, there's nothing more I can do for you or, you know, because I want to, the thing is, I want to be um, clear with people. The, oh, yeah, the other thing I was going to say, you really have to set your boundaries very, very clear with people. And it is best to do that right at the beginning. I will allow, when I'm talking to somebody for the first one or two times, I will allow them to contact me uh, because I know that if that de that development has being uh, made by me with them of, you know, this sort of sense of, okay, now there's somebody I can talk to about this, that they're going to maybe want to open up a little bit more, and especially initially. So I'm just going to let them contact me. But um, if I get into this a little bit more and I see there's one or two people who start to bombard me, I just might create a separate email. But so far I haven't had a problem with that. And like I say, just set your boundaries at the beginning and, um, you know, and I think that there's, you know, I, again, I want to just go back to this thing that we can't prove anything that's happening to any of these people, no matter what they tell us. I mean, I can't prove a darn thing about anything that's ex that I've experienced or, or that I've seen. Um, you know, I mean, I really can't do that. So, um, you know, I just want to keep that in mind that when working with somebody else that... Um, I'm keeping my boundaries clear. I'm creating a sense of safety for them at all times. 
I'm keeping very neutral in my tone. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get them leaning on me either. Um, because if they start leaning on me, because I start to sense that there's maybe some emotional or psychological stuff going on, and that does happen, well, fortunately, there are people through our organization that we can refer them to for if they want to go and get some uh, further help with either the trauma that they're encountering, because our role is not to be a, a therapist. Um, my background is in counseling, but my, I'm not a therapist. And so we can refer them to somebody. And in some cases, if they really want to dig deeper into this and really uncover it, we can recommend hypnotherapy for them through a regressive therapist. Um, you know, because there's, there's a few here in Canada. And um, and then, of course, we leave that up to them. It's up to them if they want to. Yeah, with, with, you know, especially in the sense of the mental health. Like, the minute I would sense that the person is having some sort of... Um, post-traumatic stress and I I would think at that point I would just make referrals to one go see your doctor uh, because we know we're as investigators you know you're still liable you could still get sued if you do damage to somebody yes Um, yeah and they tell you that right when you join an organization like don't do anything stupid no Um, uh, and that's the thing. So you'll report them to a doctor mm-hmm. uh, and then a, a hypnotherapist if they yeah. want to see if they can unlock more. Some people don't want to, uh, as far as I understand. These, these seem to be the one-offs, uh, the people yeah. that have had an incidents. Like they, they know about the missing time. They have mm-hmm. a few feelings. Yeah, I, I think emotions and feelings is what people connect these uh, um events to the most yeah it's how because fear you can't forget fear no i remember every time that i was fearful in my life and uh, i remember that very vividly so if you're fearful that memory will be locked in even if it's yeah it, yeah trying it, to be erased sure. you're still going to have a trace of it that's what trauma is trauma is uh, as i would call it is is a piece of your a piece of time that's frozen it's frozen to when that something happened that's what trauma is and it can be triggered by many, many different things. And so, and, and then it you know, becomes opened up again, like an old wound, which it really, you know, can, and, and they can add more onto that too, if, you know, if they're really traumatized. So, yeah, we, I mean, we have to, you know, kind of be very, very careful with these people that, uh, I mean, they're really opening up their, their heart and their, you know, their, their story of something that is just, out of their line of normal experience, um, and they actually, actually, now, now that you've um, actually just remind me something, a witness to a different world or another world. I think it's on Amazon, oh, yeah. and it's it's that documentary about a uh, a man, and I think this takes place in Chile or something like that. But uh, as a young man, he had an experience with entities, and it basically traumatized him to the point he became a recluse as a man uh you could clearly tell when he talks it's you know he's a different language but the post-traumatic stress that he has the fact that he's never done oh, yeah. with it, um that aspect of the movie i highly recommend it to people because you know there's uh, uh i keep forgetting his name that the guy in the states that was trying to pretend that he was always visited uh Stan Romanek? Yes, thank you. I, I don't know why I can't remember that guy's name. I, I, <laughs> oh, I'm horrible with names. But uh, that guy, uh, BS, total BS, and 
proven to be a BS, and yet people were willing to believe him, and he was so excited about his story. I think if you legitimately had a one-off that was terrifying, you'd be more like this gentleman in Chile, where he had to remove himself from society because he doesn't even know how to interact with yeah. other people anymore. Yeah. It was so traumatic. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely, like I said, my heart goes out um, to those people because I can understand it's like a terror in reality. While everybody's saying, hey, you know, like you can see the tear in a tapestry while everybody else just sees a tapestry intact. Yeah. And um, and that's what your position is, yeah. really. Yeah. Right, Bev? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to re-traumatize them when I'm talking to them, that's for sure. And that's why I say creating uh, boundaries with an element of safety for them to be able to tell their story um, is absolutely essential. And just being kind of compassionate to that. And yet, uh, you know, you can't get emotionally involved in it either as as you know, in my position, I cannot get emotionally involved. I have to still maintain that sort of, um, I, I want to say, a detached uh, presence um, just because some of the stuff is pretty horrific that people have encountered. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things when I first started to encounter people who were doing, having these experiences several years ago where uh, it tore my heart apart. I just did not know what to do with some of these people. They were just so traumatized, and I just did not know what to do at that time. But like I said, at that time there was no team, and there was, you know, there was there was no support for me because the person who was working with these people, like myself and others like me, we have we have to be there for each other too, because there are there are experiences. Uh, experiencers and contactees who, um, you know, they you're going to hear some stuff that just going to make your hair stand on end sometimes. Well, thank you so much, Bev. Oh, you're very welcome, Jason.